cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting to the Matrix on the 11th of March, 2009. I always advise newcomers, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website and take advantage of it for as long as it's up, because there's hundreds of hours of talks I've given in the past about the, the big, old, new world order in which we live and how it really operates. And I try to show you that there is an agenda behind it all, a planned agenda, because those in power never leave anything to chance for the future. They want to make sure that their offspring control the future. That's how it's been done through the ages. Therefore, I try to give you shortcuts, as I say, to the big picture and show you that with incredible financing and organization and networking, these boys control the world. And I try to show you to where they're taking it to. This beautiful utopia for some but a hell for the rest. Also look into alanwattsentinel.eu for transcripts of these talks written in the various languages of Europe, and you can download them, print them up, and pass them around to your friends. I should also mention, too, that at cuttingthroughthematrix.com you can order my books, my discs, and you can, or you can also donate as well. That keeps me going, that tides me over, because this is more than just a full-time job that I'm doing here. It can go on all day long and halfway through the night on occasion, and therefore there's no time to get ordinary employment, not that there's no much left around this neck of the woods anyway. So as I say, it's up to you to keep me going, and your support is certainly appreciated. Today there was a bit of a March storm, and I tried to get to the post office, or the post box, which is a few miles from my home, and I had to turn back when I hit the first hill because about two inches of solid ice on the road. I got back only to find out that part of the roof had blown off, and there's a pile of shingles there, so about two hours later, and an awful lot of mess, I went through about two gallons of tar to patch the whole darn thing up. I got that finished, came back in clean up the mess, and, and by that time the sander had actually come, and I got up to the to the post box after all, only to find there was two letters there. So that's the sort of day I go through, and at this time of year, as the warm air comes up from the south and hits the cold air up here, we get the storms, that's quite natural. Therefore, for those I never get back to on the email, just remember, it's... It's more than just sitting at a computer. I don't sit at a computer all day. I've got so many other things to do. And I live pretty well in the boonies. You can't just walk out your home and down to the corner store or anything like that. And even the mailbox is a few miles away. So forgive me if I don't get back to you. I try to get back to as many as I as, as email me, basically. This last while, I've been going on about the direction the world is going in now, the planned direction 
And it is interesting to hear older people who've come to the stage before in previous times, like before World War II, uh, where the presence is in the air. The signs are all around us that something big is going on. And it's been that way even before 2001 on 9-11, because as I say, Britain and other countries were, were trying to get through the identification cards back then and nothing was happening so the people said no 2001 was an essential happening to get the whole world on this crazy so-called terrorist mode because you see we're all the terrorists now I'll be back with more after this break through the matrix discussing the feeling that's in the air and how people have sensed this on previous occasions before big, big events happen like world wars and so on and it is tangible there's a big move on because we're at war, the world is at war and really it's a coalition of a super elite against the entire planet and not just because they're scared of the public but they've got a an idea, a radical idea they've had for centuries, this is too many people, and they'd get to a stage where they'd have to simply eliminate most of them. They also believe that they're far superior, they're evolved more than the rest, than the commoners, mainly because they've selected their mates for intellect and the inheritance of power between families. Therefore, that suits them enough, that's good enough for them, they're obviously superior those that marry for common reasons, they beget commoners. And there's too many of them in a post-industrial society. They don't need them anymore. That's what all this hullabaloo about, about sustainability is really all about. Because they plan to go on into the future with their own families and be sustained by that which the earth can give them. But they can't take us all along with them. That's how they actually talk about it amongst themselves. We're just byproducts of a bygone age we're vestiges of when we were apes you see we haven't evolved far enough that's why you're poor you're a poverty gene according to the genesis at the top and they disguise this under many different terms bioethics now is very popular sounds nicer and uh, it's just eugenics and that's why your tax money your tax money of course has been going into genetic genetic research for 50 odd 60 years not for your benefit, not to cure any illnesses, but actually to create new types of better servants. Not so many as they have now. They won't need them. And we've helped them along their way. So we're like a staging rocket to push the payload into space, basically. But I talked before about the dialectic and how they used left-wing, right-wing, capitalism, communism, and people never really quite get that. They get caught up in it, and they think it's all real. And they get very vocal and angry about the parties they belong to. They generally inherit the party from their parents, depending on the class that you're in, and, and the social status you have. 
and they never really catch on to the game of the dialectic that's played. If you have a one-party system, it's very obvious to see what totalitarian is, the, the actual ism is, I should say. But when you have a two-party system, you literally are voting out the last party, hoping the new bunch will be better, so they give us democracy and the two- or three-party system. It's all a, a joke, because after all, if the system's corrupt, it doesn't matter if it's a left-wing or right-wing that goes into power. If your money supply and foundation is rotten to the core, to the foundations, uh, then they're working for the same system, the same corrupt system, obviously. And you cannot fix something that's corrupt when you're sworn to uphold it. That's obvious. Out of this will come a new system eventually as we go through this, this fiasco of throwing billions of dollars and pounds at banks across the planet. And they'll tell us at the end of the maybe 10th bailout that we're so far in debt that none of us can get out. And the next 20 generations, if there even are going to be 20 generations, could never pay it off because of compound interest. It's all planned in advance. They know this. It was only a few years ago, about 1999 or 2000, Britain managed to pay off its debt from World War One. It still had World War Two and Korea to go. So you can't get out from under compound interest, and that's the biggest trick in the book. Getting back to the left-wing, right-wing paradigm, you'll find in Britain during the so-called Cold War that many of the leaders in the British parliamentary system who were hereditary peers, meaning viscounts and sirs and so on, and even lords, were members of the Communist Party. And if they didn't hold outright membership, they supported it 100%. And there's quite a game going on between MI5 at home as they snooped upon these different people. And I listened to some of Tony Benn. Tony Benn was a lifelong politician he was also a Viscount who was, who was a, a, a dear friend of the Soviet system, you might say. He audiotaped his diaries rather than just write them down. He did an audio tape. And on Google, you can actually listen to some of them or, or audio archives. I'll try and find the link and put it up for you. It's quite interesting to listen to his little tales as they were being snooped on while he was in Parliament at the top of the Labour Party. But he did some good things as well. He himself, uh, and I'll put this up to this link, was interviewed recently on BBC to do with what was happening in Gaza. And he decried it, of course. And then uh, you'll hear the interviewer trying to stop him from giving out an address where you could send money for aid to the the survivors in Gaza. The BBC didn't want him to give out the number, and he says this on the air to the interviewer. He says, you at the BBC, he says, Israel told you not to mention that there was a relief fund being gathered for the survivors in Gaza. I'll put that link up. But also, there's another video you should look at too. 
and it's of a Jewish MP in Britain, in Parliament, giving a speech. He himself said he was a convinced Zionist. His parents were before him. But he became so disgusted at what Israel has, is doing. He said they've played long enough on this manufactured guilt complex on the West, which has allowed them to get away with murder. And basically, he said, they're acting just like the Nazis. So I'll put that up there too, to show you that not all Jewish people are like clones of each other, as some people seem to think. But what is true, what is true, is <laughs> is that modern-day Israel is acting the role of the Nazi, there's no doubt whatsoever. And the modern Jews under persecution are the Palestinians, there's no doubt about that at all. And this guilt trip has come to an end, and the world is noticing it too. Enough is enough. There was another video on YouTube where you see him going into houses, they shot the mother at the door. And then the father's trying to get help to get the mother out in an ambulance. They wouldn't let it happen. Then you actually see one Jewish soldier sitting there saying to the cameraman, when he was asked why he was here, he says, well, and with a big smile on his face, maybe we're just here to do some fumigation. Fumigation, just killing Palestinians was just fumigation. The racism in, in Israel is just incredible. And it's drummed into them drummed into them. Intergenerational hatred is drummed into them. There is no peace in that place. And that will never be a center for peace for the world. There's too much blood being spilled there over an awful long period of time. Now I've talked as well in the past about People being careful, young people in Canada, in the States, in Britain, elsewhere, being very, very careful of sting operations where it is known for a fact that the FBI and the CSIS in Canada employ different ethnic people to infiltrate their own people and set them up, especially young guys. That happened in Canada a couple of years ago when a Muslim was sent in to try and get some youth stirred up. Nothing was happening in Canada. You see, we had nothing, no bombs going off or anything to justify all these anti-terrorism laws. And one man was successful. He got some, some youth around him. They supplied, they asked him, he supplied the explosives. And then he went in at the end and caught them before anything happened. So don't allow yourself to be set up, even if you think it's one of your own. If anyone ever comes to you and starts the anger in you, the righteous anger, which is always there. And youth have it. Youth certainly have it. They have righteous anger. Because they see things as very clearly black and white, right and wrong. Don't let your anger overcome your sensibilities. Because if an elderly or an older person is trying to get to you and get you to agree to do some violent act, you're generally being set up. And this is from the Los Angeles Times it's from July uh, this is from July 
2006 to October 2007. I don't know why he's got that. February 26, 2009. Okay. Man said he was informant for FBI in Orange County. It says, as federal authorities pressed their case against a Tustin man accused of lying about ties to Al-Qaeda, they disclosed this week that some evidence came from an informant who infiltrated Orange County mosques and allegedly recorded the defendant discussing jihad, weapons, and plans to blow up abandoned buildings. On Wednesday, a man who claims to be that informant stepped towards a forward filing court document saying he'd served as a conformant for an informant for the FBI from July 2006 to October 2007. But he was also there to stir it up and get something going that wasn't actually there. Back with more after this break. giving a warning to young guys who can get set up so easily by government officials and sting operations where, and this has happened so many times in the past, they've sent in agents, especially to get young guys all geared up towards doing something against the state, something foolish, and they always send in one of their own, someone from your own ethnic group who's a very good speaker and knows how to manipulate the minds of the youth. This is quite typical. Another warning I'll give too before I continue with this talk is this particular article is that be very careful too if you're asked in to join or be part of some some sort of secondary group to the FBI, CIA or MI5 because you're often being set up for something there as well. Even though you think you're working for them, that's fairly standard. You can't trust these characters whatsoever. And you'll be left as a patsy. Again, back to this article from the Los Angeles Times. says here, this infiltrator, this Montiel, his name is, said in interviews he had alerted the FBI to Niazi after meeting the present court case going on. After meeting him at the Islamic Center of Irving in November 2006 and spending eight months with him, Montiel said he called himself Farouk al-Aziz and posed as a Syrian-French-American in search of his Islamic roots. Montiel told the FBI that Naizi befriended him and began to lecture him about jihad, gave him lessons in bomb-making, and discussed plots to blow up Orange County landmarks. Now, that's what that accusation is. He took me under his wing and began to radicalize me, Montiel says. So here's... Here's a character whose whole job is, is to radicalize people. This, this character, Montiel, claiming that the, the, the victim is radicalizing him. You see, that's how they set you up. The FBI declined to comment on Montiel's allegations, which could not be independently verified. Niazi's attorney, Deputy Federal Public Defense Chase Sholnik, also declined to comment, but an FBI's agent's testimony in the case Tuesday and interviews with Muslim leaders both appear to bolster some of Montiel's assertions about his role in the case. The reason being that this, this informant that the FBI had sent, sent in to these mosques, well, the people in the mosque got suspicious of this guy, Montiel, who was agitating them to do something. The FBI guy was agitating them to do something, so they were reporting him to the FBI. That's quite something, isn't it? Quite something. So, 
very, very careful out there. You definitely are being infiltrated and set up to be patsies. They've got to find terrorism. If they can't find it, they're going to create it. And they go for the youth, as always. They set them up very easily, and you're left dangling as the patsies in the end. Take that as a warning. Even when they show you their badges and says you're now one of us and all that nonsense, don't believe it. Don't believe it. Now, the, the climate change boys, this new religion, climate changers, are on the, the war path again because, you see, their, their, whole, their whole theology here is breaking down and scientists are deserting them in droves. We've had one of the coldest winters we've had for years. It's all their previous uh, dates they've given us in years for the coldest years have all been proven wrong. And the, we're not warming, we're cooling the world is cooling, has been for quite some time now. They've gotten down these little changes all the time. All the time. But again, we're in the age of the creation of nightmares. We'd have nightmare scenarios so they can justify all this intrusion into all of our lives as they plan to alter all of our lives and our way of living. This is a big part of it. This is a real deal, remember. It's not just a belief system by some wackos or people who, who have nothing else to believe in or it is a new belief for them as a religion, it's actually a well-funded plan to change your entire way of living, right down to having your house inspected, having your garden inspected, or maybe not even having a garden. In fact, eventually there's bills in there right now about that. And right down to inspecting your kitchens. They're already doing it in Britain. They're coming in and inspecting your fridges. That's all to do with climate change, and etc., Believe it or not. And this is from The Guardian, 10th of March 2009. And they're using the Holocaust denier terminology again. This is, climate change deniers are ridiculous and akin to flat earthers. This is their way of smearing. These characters, these, these incredible lefties have always used smear tactics when they can't get any truth on anything. Just smear tactics and slogans. It's according to Sir Nicholas Stern, who advised the government about the economic threat posed by global warming. Economic threat, we're bankrupt. Hasn't you noticed? The economic threat posed by global warming. The respected economist, I don't know who respects him, compared climate naysayers to those who deny the link between smoking and cancer or HIV and AIDS in the face of mounting scientific evidence. Well, even that's been disputed too. Because we know they're dying off, these HIV characters with all the symptoms of these when they're on the drugs that they're given, the ZT. It kills them. So that's up in the air too. Stern, who prepared his influential report to the UK Treasury in 2007 at Gordon Brown's request, said the evidence that human-induced climate change was occurring was crystal clear. This guy looks through very foggy glasses. If you look at all the serious scientists in the world, there's no big disagreement on the basics of this. It would be absolute lunacy to act if climate change is not occurring, he said. Well, see, the weather is always changing. And they don't mention global warming much now, do they? Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
I'm Alan Watts. We're cutting through the matrix, discussing an article from The Guardian from Sir Nicholas Stern, who's really upset that people actually deny that they're wrong about the, the, the climate change that's, that's supposedly going on, claiming that if we don't act now, we'll be in big, big trouble, not damage the economy. And I've, I've mentioned, hasn't he noticed there's, there's hardly any economy left already? And it didn't need any climate help for that, just something in the stock market heating up, called phony stocks, basically. That's what caused it. It says here, his comments came in response to news that the Czech president, Václav Klaus, would this week attend a New York conference of climate change naysayers as deniers from around the world. Stern said Klaus was totally confused on this issue. So if you don't agree with them, you see, these fanatics, you're, you're, you're confused. And he liked to gather around, to gather rather confused people around him. So everyone else who thinks it's all BS, BS is a term, then you're confused, you understand, because this is a holy writ. And at the side of this Guardian article, it's interesting, the little boxes here, little jokes like how to spot a, a climate change denier, stuff like that, because that's how ridiculous it's all become. But remember, behind it all is a very serious issue, the issue being that the big foundations that project the world's future, they run and advise presidents and prime ministers across the planet, and they're heavily funded, and they get a lot of money to campaign issues. These characters came up with the idea a long time ago to control humanity, claiming humanity was basically at war with the world, with the earth itself. That's from the Club of Rome, big foundation, big think tank. They're still rolling out strong today, well funded by the usual boys, the Rockefellers and so on, the big standard oil characters, the guys who made all their money by turning up the earth and uh, pumping all the oil out of it. These are the guys who are funding the global warming nonsense. Now, I'll do another couple of articles, then I'll go to the, the callers there. But um, in Germany, it's interesting, from the BBC, and it's many other newspapers too, another horrific school shooting. And this school shooting, I think, was happened today. And of all different figures about how many have been killed. And it was a school... And it was, a, I think, a 15-year-old or so that did it. But the interesting part about, about it, too, was he dressed just like a, a SWAT team member, all in black. Some of the newspapers have omitted that part because they don't want you to draw the conclusions. But he was dressed like a SWAT team member, all in black with the combat boots and all the rest of it, and the hood, you know, the, the balaclava. Well, why not? You see, he's been brought up on video games. And all the heroes are the guys who wear black, because black is the color of the executioner. That's why you're seeing this across the planet. We're supposed to be terrified of these people. That's why they wear these, this kind of gear. Very ominous-looking characters. They're from the BBC, it says, German school gunman kills 15. I think they've dropped it to nine or so. It's gone up and down like a yo-yo. It says, 15 people have been killed by a teenage gunman who went on a rampage in southwest Germany, officials say. Now, you'll find, too, he's probably been on the usual uh, prescribed psychiatric drugs and seeing a psychiatrist. You always find that after the events. 
It says, among the dead were nine pupils, eight of them girls, and three teachers at the Albertville Secondary School in the town of Winnenden, north of Stuttgart. So the gunman, a 17-year-old former pupil named as Tim Kretschmer, entered the school at about 9.30 in black combat gear and began shooting. He fled in a stolen car but killed himself after being cornered by police. Officers say he shot himself dead after being wounded by the police. So there's two different stories on how he died. German Chancellor Angela Merkel described the shootings as incomprehensible. Well, they're always incomprehensible to these people, aren't they? It's amazing what comes out afterwards. It's amazing what comes out afterwards. When you look into any of these shootings, they've always been attending a particular psychiatrist. They've always been on a certain kind of medication, one of the Prozac types. And they go berserk, and they always shoot themselves in the end as well. Always. It's amazing, you know, with a Columbine shooting that came out after that, it wasn't just the fact that the parents seemed to be completely out of touch with what their children were up to. Very wealthy parents, wealthy enough to give them enough money to buy all the arms that they had, and they even had videos up there of them using these semi-automatics in the forest and blasting away at things just to pass the time. <clears throat> but what was also interesting, too, was that the school itself at Columbine, being very new-agey, very up-to-date, you know, avant-garde and so on, had asked all the students to to uh, do a video on, on what they'd like to see happen in the future, etc., or what they'd most like to happen in their own lives in the future. And the guys who did the Columbine shooting actually did a video of themselves going through the school without firearms, but pretending they had them, and shooting everybody there. This was a year before they actually did it in reality. But what's also interesting, too, in one of their, their lectures, it was all about death, and where they were all told to sort of lie in a coffin idea and pretend that they were dead and talk about the dead. This is what they get taught in school now. But you think some teachers would have clued in to a bunch of guys who made a video in the school pretending they were going around shooting everybody in the school. You think they would have clued into that, wouldn't you? And why were they all into the black coat, the trench mafia type thing idea? Where did that all come from in the first place? They were hooked on a particular video site or, or, or website. Who was running that website? Who was running it? Who was into these guys' minds? Who was into their minds and their brains, I wonder? We'll never find out. But more will come out after this shooting, too. In Germany, you'll find the same old pattern. Same thing happened in Britain, where the Dunblane School shooting happened. The man who did it was a known pedophile. He should have been barred from, from even getting anywhere near a firearm. It's incredible in Britain to get a firearm. Very, very difficult. He was known to the police because he had stacks of um, photographs of young naked and half-naked boys all over his, his room. And therefore he was, he was been, and he'd been reported before for interfering with children. But it was a British lord, a British lord up there, you know, up in Parliament, who told the police that he'd stand by him for guarantor, and he got his handgun, and away he went. Also seeing a psychiatrist, mind you. And the day he went to shoot those children, 
He went to see his mother, as he always did. He used to have a shower in her place. He didn't have a shower in his own place. And she said he seemed quite normal, although abstract, as though he was just going off to self work. The days, kind of fugue state. There's more to all this than meets the eye, but of course there's a big agenda at work, as I say. A much bigger agenda. Now we'll go to the, the callers, and there's, there's Rick here from California. Are you there, Rick? Yes, hi, Alan. Yes. Yeah, that school shooting, it's bringing tears to my eyes. I mean, it's, it's really sad, you know. Um, I wanted to read something to you real quick uh, that, I, that I wrote. It's like, like half a page or a couple paragraphs, and it's just some, some uh, logical thoughts I have on world government. It's easier for me to talk when I'm writing, organize my thoughts better. I was wondering mm-hmm. if you're interested. If I yeah. read. Okay, he goes, even though some patriots are wrong in many respects, such as when it comes to blaming Jews or Mexicans, for example, the patriots are right in this respect. And this is in response to some liberals out there who might be under the impression that a world government might be good if only it were more democratic and benevolent, including environmental and labor concerns. Even under the most benevolent and democratic world government, bureaucracy would be so inaccessible and large that, for example, if someone were, were to be imprisoned unjustly for a term of, say, 10 years, it might take several consecutive life sentences worth time to get him out because of bureaucratic wrangling. I was thinking of Gennaro Wilson, a black miner who was in prison for 10 years because of consensual sex with another miner due to an obscure law in the Georgia law books. This was aired on 60 Minutes a few years ago. Even though that law was changed because of outcry over his case, they still could not get him out of jail right away because of bureaucratic wrangling in Georgia's courts. It took a few more years. If it is this way, just in a state as small as Georgia, can you imagine how bad it would be in a world government? I can imagine a scenario where in a global government court cases would take hundreds of years. So just from a legal point of view, even the most democratic world government would be a nightmare. Therefore, the patriots are right. World government is bad under any circumstances. Smaller units of government are better. That's that's end, end of quote. Yeah, and not only that, I mean, to be honest with you, even centralized government is wrong because that's too far away, too, from your own community. Uh, I think I mentioned before that a study was done with this conglomerate, this incredible giant of the Economic Union of Europe at their parliament there, and they found out that the average European parliamentarian has an average, I think, of, of I think it was 15 to 20 seconds to speak per year. That's all they could manage. Well, how can you say anything to represent your community in 20 seconds per year? And, of course, that's going to be lost in everybody else's uh, 20-second talks over the course of that year. You're dealing with a distant power that, that is so out of touch with you or your area or your community or what it needs that, yeah, you, you're going to have chaos, absolutely. And it, and it would take you lifetimes to get through to them. It's just too remote. You know, I'm amazed how quickly it, how quick, when it comes to putting people in jail or passing laws against you, they can do it really quickly. (laughs) When it comes to removing the laws or taking them out of jail, it takes forever. Yes. You know. Yes, and and especially now, you're going to understand too that I think the U.S. has one of the biggest prison industries on the planet outside of China. It is, it is the highest incarceration rate in the whole world. That's right. And 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 it's incredible what you can get. charged and put away for. There's so many incredible different laws there, and they're adding more and more to the books all the time. So it's a growth industry. It's very profitable for the big boys. And, uh, and 
to be honest with you, it's a prototype of where we're all going. You don't have to be inside of walls to be in a prison because the new system they're bringing in is a prison-type system where we'll all be working basically for the state. That's always been the goal, and I mean the world state, basically. Uh, that has been the goal. We won't work for our own rewards. We'll get tokens to get our basic needs, all to save the planet, etc., etc. I want to say something about population. Um, when I went to Africa a couple of years ago, I noticed that the cities, the city that I was in was really super crowded. But as soon as I got out in the country, there was nothing. The, 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 there was no people, hardly any people at all. Right. It was just empty. Yeah. So, Population uh, is a myth. Overpopulation is a myth. It's an absolute myth, you know, and, and it's the same thing, too, from the days of Thomas Malthus and all these graphs and charts where people were supposed to be uh, walking over each other in a hundred years from the 1700s, and it never happened. They're still doing the same nonsense today. The populations has been declining in the Western world for since actually from World War One, and uh, the Harpon, Harpon says there's too many people, they've flooded the countries with immigration, claiming there's not enough people being born in the European countries or, or the American countries, and they need people to, to come in in order to pay off the debt. That's the excuse they're giving, by the way, for bringing all the immigration in. But the thing is, they must make every major city appear to be vastly overcrowded. And people brought up in the cities think the whole world is like that. They have no idea what's outside of it. They really have no idea. So you can create false impressions by bringing lots of immigrants into already overcrowded cities, not building new buildings, because they're not, they're not uh, uh, expanding the urban sprawl, as I like to call it. Therefore, there's more and more folk crammed in the same, same existing cities. This gives the impression of overcrowding. And they first used this, and they still use this, by the way, when you look at India, they always show you a street in Calcutta or, or Bombay, and yeah. you, you think, my God, how can they live like that? You don't realize there's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of square miles in India of jungle and forest and tiny little villages and so on, very remote from each other. And all the, pe- all the people who like to live in the cities are stuck in the same couple of cities. <laughs> yeah. So it's all alteration of perception, you see. I read somewhere that Africa's population is actually the least dense in the, in the entire world, and it's actually declining. And, and I'll tell you another thing, too. Um, they're always on about, oh my God, like Kissinger said, the threat to the world is overpopulation and then they put all these acts in for giving them free abortions across the third third world. It's mandatory. Um, the, part of the reason you, you've seen famine across Africa has been because there's not enough people living in the areas to do the farming to sustain themselves. And when that isn't happening too, there's, the, the, the West is always in there like fomenting little wars, keeping the wars going so they're not farming when, they're, when the wars are going on. Uh, and that's standard throughout the, uh, Africa and the Middle East as well. The West and Russia were famous for doing both of those things, keeping the trouble going. And it's been well proven, as I say, that uh, the reason in Africa is not overpopulation in many, many areas is underpopulation. Well, thank you very much. Uh, um, I'm going to let you go on other callers. Huh? Uh, so yep. th- thank you, and have a good night. And you too. That's the, that's the name of the game. Everything, remember, in mind control is to distort or alter your perceptions of things. And it's not a difficult thing to do. I, when I was small, I can remember when I first saw a TV program on nature, and it's on every other night. It's called Hans and Lottie Hass, I think it was, undersea scuba divers, and they show you all these fish in tropical places that you'd never probably see. 
that was the beginning of the indoctrination into getting us to accept that we're just another species on the planet. And thousands of documentaries and series have come out since to to bolster that whole opinion and that view that you're just another species on the planet. It was all done by the big foundations to alter and distort our perceptions of the real world and make us think that we are destroying all of it. And we're not destroying all of it whatsoever. And why is it that the richest men on the planet who own the mines and who tear up mountains and who drill all the oil wells are the very ones with their foundations that fund all the leftist movements, the ones who want to save the world and save the planet? Ask yourself that. What it is is that these same people who own all the resources of the planet want to own it all and have the right to say who lives and who dies and who will get what from the resources and who won't. Total power, that's what it's about. Remember, they have a philosophy and a religion believing they are the most evolved species on the planet. And if you read into the works of, of Charles Galt and Darwin and the Huxleys, both of them, Julian and Aldo Huxley, and the grandfather Thomas, Sir Thomas Huxley, the pal of Darwin, they all said the same thing, that they did believe, being scientists, etc., that they were the most evolved types on the planet. And that something happened a long time ago where all the common people were left behind, that they had a great leap forward for themselves. That's what they truly, truly believe. And it's the same with the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds and all the big boys. Back with more after this break. cutting through the matrix just showing you how perceptions can be completely distorted by conditioning and repetition of the same kind of media and programming from television especially and again through schools the schools are bringing up squadrons of greenies little green Nazis who will be worse than any any fascist or communist system that's ever existed before. They're totally indoctrinated. And that's what school is for today. It's a social indoctrination process they go through. That's what it's for, not to help them get on in life. Here's an article from Britain. There's a new term coming to economics. They don't call things inflation anymore. Inflation meant you just printed off the money uh, by the millions and it's threw it out into society, and that way the, the market was flooded with dollars or pounds or whatever the currency was. They've got a new term they're calling it now. It sounds better, so that we don't all panic. From the BBC, it says, this is the 11th of March again, 2009, bank begins using new money, this is in England. They're calling it not inflation, quantitative easing. Quantitative easing. This is our cartoon guide to how it works. The Bank of England has launched its latest attempt to boost the supply of credit and stimulate the UK economy using £75 billion it has, in effect, created. Well, that's always been called inflation, you see, when you just print the money, get the presses rolling and print the money. They're calling it quantitative easing. That's what it's now called. Sounds better. It's more scientific, isn't it? It's easing. It's not inflation. 
but it was inflation we all panic. It's just quantitative easing. It says it's bought two billion pounds worth of government bonds from a financial institution and funds in the first of a series of auctions designed to help troubled banks. They must get the bank's newly created cash out into the wider economy and encourage greater lending. This is what they're saying here. Banks said last week it would pump £75 billion into the economy. Using a reverse auction, a reverse auction, the bank bought just under £2 billion worth of the bonds known as gilts. The amount of offers the bank receives from commercial banks was about £10.5 billion, meaning that financial institutions wanted to sell five times more debt than the bank had offered to buy. <laughs> can, can you try and figure this out? How can you have any kind of system that's already, it was corrupt from its foundation, it's a debt system, right? It's all based on debt and people buying your, how can you buy debt? Second hand, third hand, fourth, fifth, etc., all down the way. How do you keep buying debt? It's the same old cons have tried for centuries. It is, eventually, there's just too much debt out there and not enough people left to pay, or they can't afford to pay. They say there were no bidders for the non-competitive portion of the auction where bidders commit to selling the debt to the bank without setting a price. Why? See, there's no reason why money should be created in debt in the first place. That's the whole kicker. We live in a debt monetary system. And that would all have to be radically changed, in fact, scrapped and done away with. And nations who start creating their own money, as has been attempted in the past. Some countries have been bombed out of existence for trying it. Well, from Hamish myself, I can see the music coming in. It's from Ontario, Canada, where it's still pretty stormy. It's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.